Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Well, guys, today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is uh, typically called like the birthday of the church. Um, So the Holy Spirit came, did an amazing work on the day of Pentecost, uh, filling a, a group of people. Peter stands up and does what every good Christian leader does. He, he doesn't do the work. The Holy Spirit already did the work, but he kind of explains it and then invites people to, to join. Um, and thousands of people started following Jesus that day, and it was the start of you know the, the church as it has developed over the years. I want today to look at a really crucial event that happened in Peter's life and that kind of prepared him to be the guy who stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches like the first sermon in church. Because I I think that's like a pretty cool thing to to do. Good job, Peter. Prepare him for that. So let's pray uh, again. We we like praying. Uh, We're happy to pray multiple times. Um, As we we turn to scripture, we just want to give our attention um, to the word of God. So Jesus, as we turn to your word this morning, we ask that your word would direct and guide our hearts. Would you speak love and truth and peace over our hearts, our emotions, Lord God? Would you fill us up this morning? Fill us up with what we need. And the world fills us up with stress and anxiety and performance You also fill us up when we turn to you and drink in, take in of you and your truth. Would would you uh, speak to our our minds? Would you convince our minds of, of your higher callings and purposes, your reality? And would you speak to our lives this morning? Would we be changed and transformed? Would we live a little differently this afternoon and Monday morning? Because you have changed us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's trustworthy and reliable in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we're going to be in John chapter 21. So this is after uh, Jesus has died. He's he's come back to life. They've heard rumors of him being around and about. Uh, A couple of these guys have probably seen him twice now after the, the resurrection. It says, later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples. And Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. You know, they've had this super intense experience with Jesus. And then it's like, well, you hungry? Sure, we could get something to eat. Uh, It's their Monday through Friday grind. And we all can relate to this. You have a really great spiritual experience, and then you you go back home, and the rest of your family wasn't at the youth retreat or, or wasn't there this Sunday, and the house is, you know, someone's arguing, and so you just go and, I don't know, 
check your email. So they're, they're doing what right, seems right in their own eyes, what's, what's normal. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Hey guys, how many of us are doing the grind? We're, we're doing what seems right. You know, you're not, who here is doing what seems just totally wrong and the opposite, right? You know, you're doing what seems right, but it's not, it's just not yielding the results you had hoped for. This morning, let Jesus speak to you. Let him say, how's it going? Because it's a new morning. It's a new day. It can be a new start with Jesus. How's it going? Is it productive? Is it fruitful? Is it satisfying? Because they catch nothing. And you know, in the Gospels, they never, if you've actually noticed this, they never catch a fish without Jesus' help. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we never see him catch a fish without Jesus' help. Then he said, throw out your nets on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Now he doesn't say, hey guys, this one time I saw these fishermen and they cast their nets on the other side of the boat and they got some. So I don't know, maybe, you know, some good advice for you. How about you try that and maybe you get some. He says, do this and you'll get this result. Do this, I'll tell you what's going to happen. And guys, I'm so glad that they didn't say, when he said, have you caught anything, that they didn't say, well, you know, actually, we caught two small fish, but then they got away. Or don't, don't worry about it. You know, this is just the warm-up fishing, and, you know, we, we know what we're doing. We'll be fine next time. They just said, nope, it was nothing. When we come to God with honesty, when we say, actually, my heart is kind of hard. I work so hard, no one seems to appreciate it. I'm more enthusiastic about chocolate and TV than I am about Jesus. I'm more into food and sports than I am really loving and serving people. I'm lonely. When we come to God with honesty, he answers with a command and a promise. This is the way, walk in it. Do this, a command and a promise. Follow me. He, he says, the catch will be great. Your nets will be filled. There's a pattern of obedience and abundance. Obedience and abundance. They recognize this promise. They're like, wait, wait, wait. That reminds us of somebody. Uh, going on verse 7, then the disciple Jesus loves said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, where he'd stripped down for work, jumped into the water, headed to shore. There's a reason Peter has a great spiritual life, guys. He's like, that's Jesus over there? Okay, I'm going. He runs to Jesus, sorry, swims. You know, some of us have to be cajoled into going to church on Sunday morning, have to be like pretty pleased into reading our Bibles, and we don't have the satisfying spiritual life that Peter has. 
Give me a heart, God, that is willing to jump out of boats when I see you somewhere. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the nets to shore. There were 153 large fish, that's a lot, and yet the nets hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them. Isn't it nice that Jesus serves them? The bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So what, what these is he's talking about? What more? Is it, is it the nets and the fishing and his job? Uh, maybe. I think actually he's referring to the other guys. Do you love me more than, you know, Nathaniel and, and Thomas? Like, why would Jesus bring that up? Why would Jesus want to compare and contrast? That doesn't seem, you know, very, very good. Well, because Peter really wanted to compare and contrast. And Peter had said, like, Jesus, I love you so much more than these guys, which I'm sure these guys did not appreciate at the time. You know, they, they may turn your back, their backs on you. I never will. I'm going to be disciple number one. He was not. He failed. Um, so, so Jesus brings this up. He's kind of poking at Peter's spiritual pride. Um, and this is when Peter's going to grow up. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. He's pointing him to, you know, leading the church, caring for people, loving, serving um, spiritually and otherwise um, our early Christians. Um, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. You went where you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Peter was crucified upside down. Um, according to tradition, he said that he did not deserve the same kind of death that Jesus did. He was crucified upside down. Then Jesus told him, follow me. The word of the Lord. Well, friends, I love this story. 
And I think here we see this great, like, maturing moment uh, of Peter. You know, it's graduation weekend. Um, we've had a couple folks who have graduated. Congrats, Ethan. Uh, we'll pray for them. Uh, give them a little gift at the second service. Um, you know, a great moment of, you know, stepping into new responsibility and, and formation. Um, this is kind of like Peter's like reverse graduation. This is like if you didn't quite pass all of high school, but then there's some restorative type of thing. None of our grads had to go uh, through that. But he matures in two ways. He matures in love for failure and in being led. Jesus asks him, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know. It focuses on what Jesus knows, like not on what he claims, but what Jesus uh, actually knows. You know, there, there are no grand claims of his own spiritual prowess. He says, you know, I do love you. You know, in the face of failure, loss, uncertainty, Jesus doesn't say, Peter, are you going to try harder next time? He just says, do you love me? And in the face of failure, loss, uncertainty, Peter doesn't say, I promise I'll never do it again. He says, I really do love you. And you know, friends, there'll be times when, you know, I just have been busy and distracted, have not been very prayerful, and kind of stepping back into to Jesus seems a little bit like, you know, ah, uh, here we go, what am I supposed to say? I just kind of instinctively start with, hello God, I know it's maybe been a little longer. I love you. That, that kind of centering and just coming back together of, Jesus, I really, I really do love you. It centers him, it grounds him. Um, my sister works with college students and um, you know, so she's with University Christian Fellowship working on uh, college campuses. And, uh, you know, college students go through, you know, a lot, a lot of changes, you know, evaluating, you know, what, what, you know, you're doing with life. I think maybe sometimes in the burbs are a little bit more settled, hopefully, maybe, maybe not. So she sees, you know, students really start following Jesus, really step up their, their faith, uh, come to Jesus for the first time. Also, students who go to college and, you know, walk away from their faith, maybe. I, I think it takes a little bit more to walk away from Jesus totally. But, um, you know, she sees a lot of turmoil um, in a student's spiritual lives. And she says, whenever someone walks away from Jesus, there's a breakdown in love. There's a breakdown in love. Which can happen for many reasons. You know, people, you know, there's real hurt and pain. There's just bitterness and hardness. It just makes it hard to receive uh, God's, God's love. She says there's always a breakdown in love. Uh, Matthew 24, uh, Jesus talks about, you know, things, things getting bad. You, you'll be arrested, persecuted, killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Many will turn away from me, betray each other. There'll be false prophets. Sin will be everywhere. Says, and he says, and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I wonder about that phrase, the love of many will grow cold. If maybe that's not like a root of, of the problem that, you know, our love just kind of cools off and we care a little bit less and, you know, and then there's more sin and more false teachers and more, you know, 
But also if that's not the remedy, that's not the remedy. That when we love Jesus deeply, sin's kind of held off of bay. When we love Jesus deeply, we, we endure to the end. When we love Jesus deeply, we're freed and released and transformed. You know, I do think love does not make things easy, but it makes things easier. You know, I, if, you, if you really love something, if you're really into it, you know, you're, you really love your job, your, your projects, your, your side hustle, you get into it, you're, you're absorbed in it. If you really love basketball, you're out there practicing, you know. If you don't like basketball, like, I am not jumping up and down in the hot driveway that, that many times. You know, you have a child. You love your child. You discover all of a sudden you can actually survive on four hours of sleep a night. Who knew? You didn't think it was possible before. But love does make things, you know, easier. And love, love kind of releases us. It sets us free. It gets away some of the, the shackles. When we really love something, we're, we're devoted to it. Um, Two weekends ago, I was down with my brother in Connecticut, and, you know, we've got a good relationship. We love each other. Um, you know, I drive down there. It's about a two-hour drive, and get there. Here's what I do basically, like, every time I visit him. We say, hi. How you doing? And then I examine his house for new objects. Ooh, that's new. Ooh, look, who, who sent you a new birthday card? Let's see who signed that. Then I go to his cupboards open up his cupboards, look for a tasty snack. Oh, the good chips. I never get those for myself. May I have some? Rest assured, if I come to your house, I will not behave like that. Now, your house is a lot closer, so I won't be quite as hungry for a snack after a long drive, but there's just a freedom. We have a good relationship. I just go over to his house and open up the refrigerator and make myself at home. And you're like, is that really the freedom of love or is that just rudeness? Whatever. You know, love sets us free. We're just free with people who we have a good relationship and we love. We're free to admit, to be vulnerable. Um, it sets us free from some of the constraints we otherwise carry. Love released Peter. Love released Peter from past failure from past pride, and love set Peter free to be different. And his life was going to be so much different. So maturity happens with a love response, and maturity happens when we stop doing what we want to do. Um, verse 18, when you were young, you did what you wanted. But when you are older, someone else will take you where you do not want to go. Then Jesus told him, follow me. The uh, theologian uh, Willie James Jennings, uh, he wrote a commentary on the book of Acts, and he kind of summarized it up. Uh, he said, in the book of Acts, no one is doing what they want to do. You know, and the amazing, joyful, like, miraculous story of the early church. Like, it's amazing. Read it. It's a good read. No one is living their best life now. 
No one is saying, gosh, I always dreamed of having an exile ministry like this persecution is exactly right, just what I was going for. But they're filled with joy and and, and purpose and peace and love and, and dedicating, devoting their life to it. We call this, we can call this surrender. We can call this uh, uh, dying to self. Um, but really what it means is that God is the boss and I am not the boss. And I think in, in our culture, in our society, you know, if I'm not the boss, that can seem a little like, I don't know, we're repressed or something. You know, American society has always been very individualistic, starting from the American Revolution, I mean, the War of Independence. You know, we like independence. You know, going on to Thoreau, he's got his pond here. He found answers in self and, and in, in nature. Um, you know, moving on to cowboy heroes and the Lone Ranger and in individualism. You know, the sexual revolution, the post-war boom. You know, now, 2020s, you know, it's live your own truth. You know, we are steeped in a message of do what's right for you. Do what's right for you. Don't do what's, you know, right for your relationships or, or calling or, you know, some other moral code. We're told to do what's right for us. Uh, Charles Taylor says that we've moved from a culture of authority to a culture of authenticity. Um, so a culture of authority, you know, you do what the king or, or the church or, or government says, and that has been not so happy. It's been very problematic um, in, in many ways. And now a culture of authority or authenticity when do what's right for you, what feels right for, for you. But like sometimes what feels right for me day to day can change. And honestly, if you ask me, it's a lot of pressure if I'm the center and my feelings are the center of what's de- determining uh, all of this uh, I personally think it's a lot of pressure on me and my, my feelings. Um, but this can also rub off into spirituality. I've heard it called like um, project self-spirituality. Um, we follow Jesus to, to make us a better self, a, a better person. And there, there are many tools that we use in the church for this. Enneagram has been really helpful for uh, many people determining, you know, what's ourself, but the purpose is transformation and change. Like, who am I? And then we're led in paths of transformation and, and change. Jesus helps us to behavior management and not sin and, and you know, all, all of that. But there is a bigger reality. I believe 1,000% that following Jesus makes you a better person. But there's a bigger reality that God is just God and God is not, you know, a therapist. He's he's not a self-help program. God exists for other things than just making me a better uh, person. He's God on the throne. And in a self-centered world, in a what's-in-it-for-me world, we have to recognize that what's in it for us is Jesus. The church has had a what's in it for me attitude. Come to church. We serve the community. So do nonprofits. Come to church. It's just good community and encouragement and, and support, you know, which is true. You know, the, uh, I was reading a study, a 
independent study that said like incidents of you know loneliness and depression are lower in people who regularly you know are in church church community but there are lots of other places to get community you know we say come to church you'll you'll be encouraged or you know helped in, in this way or or that way and um you know i think service and community and peace and hope and emotional support and moral guidance like you know those are all super important and that's a really actually like pretty comprehensive list like the the yoga studio can't do all of that the volunteer opportunity can't do all uh, of that but at the end of the day god is god and it's not just about our betterment it's because jesus has come to people who he loves dearly whether we become better people or not, in spite of the fact that we do not deserve it, Jesus has come and invaded earth with heaven and taken on the worst of sin and injustice and evil on the cross and has defeated it through his resurrection, that he is enthroned in heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords, that he has authority and dominion over the earth, over the church, and over my life. And that gives me the opportunity to follow Jesus and hopefully become a better person. I'm I'm working on it. We're all working on it. But also to just lay down my life and say, you are God and I'm not. You get to lead me, maybe even lead me places I do not want to go. Uh, Jean Guyon was a uh, mystic in uh, France in the 1800s and she said be assured that God does not invade the unwilling soul and overpower the believer the turmoil you experience is your resistance to what God is seeking to accomplish when you let go of all that is standing in his way you'll find yourself swept into him this is what is called death to self But this term is really a contradiction because when this happens, your spirit will never be more alive. Your spirit then lives the true life, the life of God. You know, and I I think that phrase is really true. The turmoil you experience is your resistance to what God is seeking to accomplish. You know, sometimes with my kids, we'll, we'll, have, we'll have a little bit of conflict, especially with the younger ones. When, um, so here's how it goes. Um, she will ask for something. I will say no, which may or may not, you know, I might be, you know, just lazy or, or stingy or might have good reasons. Then she will respond with, but mom, I want it. And I always feel like, oh, you want it. I didn't realize you wanted it. If I had known you wanted ice cream, you know, I I would have said, yes, I thought you just felt obliged to finish up the container or or something. You know, oh, you want it. That changes everything. But we have lots of wants and desires. And when my wants and desires, sometimes for good things, sometimes for not so good things, sometimes for poor substitutes, when my wants and desires are lined up with God's wants and desires, then I'm set free from this conflict, from this turmoil. Ruth Haley Barton says, the best thing we have to offer is our transforming self. 
Not our transformed self, not our like, guys, I got it all together, look at me. But our transforming self. That we're works in progress, but we're being shaped and formed by Jesus. And that is the best thing we have to share with the world. I think that to, um, and this is probably just my own little personal opinion, but I do think that to survive and thrive in, you know, a secularizing world, our spirituality cannot be about ourselves. It has to be about Jesus. And this might have been like a little bit tr more true, like, you know, I, I don't think there's like a golden age of, you know, a moral Christian America. 1950s had lots of big problems, but you know, maybe back in the day you could get a little bit more props for, you know, teaching Sunday school and going to church and be like, oh, good for you. You know, I think there's plenty of hypocrisy and whatever, but you know, you could get some more pats on the back for doing, you know, some of these things. And, um, as our world changes a little bit and secularizes a little bit more, I just don't think that saying like, look at me doing a service project with our, our church is, you know, quite as compelling as it, it, it used to be. It can't be about my good example or, you know, your good example or our good church. It has to be about Jesus. Other organizations can outperform the church at just about everything else. Project just because on this street does a better job of, of serving. That's their sole purpose. Uh, down the street, we've got CrossFit that does a great job of, of wellness. Your book club may do a better job of friendship and, and community. We are about Jesus. We're about Jesus. And being about Jesus frees us and releases us. Peter went from self-protecting, self-promoting to self-emptying. You know, think about Peter. He was, he was an interesting dude. And, you know, he really thought that, you know, he was an amazing, amazing follower of, of Jesus, you know, hashtag, you know, all in. He was on fire for, for God. You know, I think about, you know, he said, you know, I, I'm so amped up for you, Jesus. If anyone tries to come at Jesus, like I'm going to chop off their ear with this sword. And Jesus is like, oh my goodness, Peter, cut it out. That is not what I meant. Come here, buddy. Let me heal your ear as if I don't have better things to do right now. Let me fix this. And then Peter went to, to leading the early church in, in humility and love and care, preaching not himself, but Jesus. On the day of, of Pentecost, you know, and this is really... This is really where I see spiritual maturity and spiritual power intersecting. You know, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up. They're, they're gathered together humbly in prayer. The Holy Spirit just like does this crazy uh, uh, miracle. Peter stands up. He's like, actually, this is about Jesus. Let me explain. Let me uh, invite. Did Peter pray for Pentecost to happen? He didn't really know that this was like actually an option on the table. He didn't really know that this was like a menu item. He did not stand up and say, in the name of God, the Lord Almighty, we want, we want tongues of fire on every person, please, in Jesus' name, do it, do it. And then like, Jesus, we want every person proclaiming the gospel. And like, he says it in Arabic and he's in French and he's, right? Peter didn't 
you know, demand or call these things from God. Jesus just told him, stay in Jerusalem. So he stayed in Jerusalem. Jesus told them, gather together with other disciples. So they gathered together. Okay, I'll do that. He said, pray. Okay, we'll really pray. And then the Holy Spirit did an amazing work. Peter didn't demand from God. He let God dictate and God lead. He didn't try. He didn't try to get God to do this. Didn't try to get God to, to do that. Instead, he surrendered and he was led. Don't use the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit use you. And this is the story of Peter's life. He didn't try and use the Holy Spirit. He let the Holy Spirit use him. Worship team, if you guys want to come on up. Friends, this is what I want. I want to stop trying to use the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit use, you, use me. And isn't it time for us to stop, you know, trying and then charting and, you know, be led like grown-ups in the kingdom of God who have responsibility and call from our loving Heavenly Father to come forwards, to surrender ourselves to a love calling in Jesus, to more, to a path that we could not anticipate or even imagine, to the strong leading of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you call us in love. This morning we receive your love. Just each one of us together this morning. Just receive and love. There's not a mistake that, that Jesus holds over our heads and says, oh, but you better you know, do this better. There's a calling in love forwards. We receive your love this morning. And for every voice that speaks past condemnation or, or failures, we rebuke that in Jesus' name that is not of the Lord. You, you welcome us and you serve us. You love us. You want to be with us. And then you're like, hey, I love you. Do you love me? So respond with that this morning. Uh, and Jesus, I, I pray, Lord God, I pray first and foremost for myself, Jesus, that I would, I would release and relinquish, that I would die to some of the, the meanness, the sourness, and I have quite strong opinions about who I am and what I do and big ideas about who I am. But Jesus, your ideas for me, uh, I can't wait to see where they will take me. And so this morning we say together that you are Lord, you are boss, you are in charge, you get to call the shots. Would you help us this morning? When we are older, someone else will lead us and take us, even where we may not want to go. Jesus, you are the good shepherd, you are the good shepherd of our souls. 
would you lead and guide this morning and on. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.